Welcome back to another episode of the Care to Listen podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Minister Jennifer Whiteside, the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions for British Columbia. Minister Whiteside shares her insights into the work being done in the ministry to support caregivers across BC. We'll touch on topics that include the overdose public health emergency, building collaboration across all ministries, and supportive inclusive strategies to address the complex mental health challenges across the province. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses some topics that may be triggering for some viewers, including addiction, the ongoing opioid crisis, suicide, and grief and loss. Welcome back to another episode of the Care to Listen podcast. I'm your host, Sean Burke, and today we are recording at a new location, and I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the Songhees and Esquimalt peoples on whose territory we are conducting this podcast on. Joining me today is the Honourable Jennifer Whiteside, the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions in British Columbia, and elected MLA for New Westminster. Welcome to the show, Minister Whiteside. Hi, Sean. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So you're somebody who has held significant roles, which include serving as the, the former Minister of Education of child and Child Care and working as the Chief Spokesperson and Lead Negotiator for the Hospital uh, Employees Union. So someone really qualified today when it comes to talking about uh, what we're here to talk about. And I'd just love to, before we jump into it, get to know a little bit about your backstory and what's brought you into this role. So could you maybe share a little bit, you know, how you have come into this important role? Um, Sure, Sean. Well, you know, I I never really envisioned a a political career for myself. I was really um, uh, very happy and uh, had a really rewarding career working with uh, with healthcare workers, um, which is what I've done for most of my uh, most of my adult life is um, uh, as part of uh, being part of the labor movement. And um, in uh, 2015, I took on the role of uh, the, essentially the CEO of the Hospital Employees Union. And um, as the chief spokesperson and chief negotiator, uh, when, the, um, when our government f- um, formed government in, in 2017, we had a really important round of bargaining in, in 2018, where we um, reestablished some you know, fundamental health and safety protections for, for workers. And what I'd say is that, you know, I think it was pretty evident heading into the pandemic that we had some real challenges uh, around mental health uh, issues in the workplace in particular, and really just, you know, across kind of across across all sectors. And then, uh, you know, in, um, in spring 2020, as we saw uh, the pandemic sort of march across the globe, uh, and then uh, have COVID-19 arrive in, uh, in, in British Columbia, we knew that that was uh, going to have a, a tremendous impact uh, on every facet of life and particularly for, for healthcare workers who were really on the front lines of, um, of the pandemic. So for the first six months of the pandemic, I spent, um, um, uh, I, I spent that time working with government, with employers, um, really figuring out how to, how to make sure that we supported the healthcare system, supported healthcare workers, and in particular, how we uh, ensured that in long-term care where vulnerable seniors were uh, the most um, directly impacted by, uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic, to make sure that, the, that those, resident, th- those residents, those seniors, and, and the, the, the healthcare workers who were caring for them were going to be as protected as possible. Yeah, and, and, you know, we saw new programs that were released through the Care for Caregivers program, um, something that your ministry really took a, a lead and initiative on. Um, this Care to Listen is an extension of that Care for Caregivers, and it continues to grow. So when you were looking at, um, and I know that this was part of the, uh, your predecessor, 
um, who rolled out these programs. But how has your ministry been able to continue the work that's been done um, since you took took on this role? Yeah, well, it's a it's a it's a funny sort of irony that um, my uh, my 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 friend and uh, and neighbor and and former a colleague in the labor movement, Judy Darcy, who was the first minister of mental health and addictions, and also an MLA for New Westminster. Um, I remember us getting a call from her uh, one day saying, you know, uh, we have this idea about um, how we think we can provide supports for uh, for healthcare workers during this this really this really challenging time, and that was. Uh, that was the care to speak. That was the peer, that that was the peer to peer mental health supports for for workers, and that came on the heels of uh, work that had been uh, that had been started to be uh, introduced before the pandemic. The uh, the mobile workplace uh, kind of emergency urgent response um, team, and so you know there had already been some work uh, being done to try to figure out how to how to how to access how to get to healthcare workers who can't always who can't always. Um, you know, go to uh, reach out or get to services um, th- th- themselves, and uh, so that really set an important, um, an important, uh, uh, some important groundwork and provided really important resources to, to to healthcare workers. And then, of course, in the in the you know, I made the decision in the uh, late later that year when we had an election in 2020, and Judy was retiring. I made the decision to run uh, to to run for the seat because I really believed that this is a time when. You know, we have really complex issues to take on in our in our province, in our country, and our you know globally as 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 we're experiencing now. And um, I think there's never been a more important time to have a have a government that really listens to working people and who will uh, work with them to make their work safer, to make their workplaces better. So that's really um, something that we're that we're very committed to, and that and and it's why we've really kept on with this work and continued to make these particular investments in building out the the workplace hub as well so that we have uh, you know digital resources available for uh, not only healthcare workers but really workers across all of the sectors that were that were really um, primarily hit by hit by covid and you know you, hearing you talk about the the challenges and the complexity and you know that being one of the passions and motivations for a lot of the work you're doing you know oftentimes mental illness doesn't just it's not just one isolated issue um, you know, there's many different ministries that are doing great work. Um, and I'm curious through uh, your specific platform, uh, British Columbia was the first ministry of mental health and addictions um, to have such a ministry in Canada. And one of that primary focus is, is to work across all ministries. So when we're talking about complex mental health issues, I'm curious how your team is working together with other ministries to, to combat some of these challenges. Yeah, that's a really important question, Sean, because this is kind of a unique ministry um, in that we don't we don't have legislation that we're um, you know kind of assigned to be responsible for. Uh, you know, our our sort of our, our budget is really about um, trying to secure money for programs that other ministries are going to are, are going to de- are going to deliver. It really is about leveraging. Um, uh, that that work across uh, across our, across the health ministry, the education and childcare ministry, MCFD, other labor, you know, other other ministries who are who are actually um, um, de- uh, developing the implement implementing the programs. But it's really important to have a ministry that is really focused on what is an incredibly uh, important and complex sort of set of set of issues that are, I mean, as you say, distinct from. Um, have often been thought of as quite distinct from physical health. So um, we have this sort of separation of our mental health from 
uh, from from our physical health, but we really need to be working towards more of an integration, and that's that's a really um, strong focus is to be work is the work that we're doing with um, uh, with our colleagues in the Ministry of Health, with our health authorities to really inter integrate mental health and substance use into the work that they're doing, so that you know if somebody go you know sh wherever they're interacting with primary care, if somebody shows up to their you know, to their family practitioner or they go to the urgent care center or wherever they're accessing primary care, they can find a pathway. They can, they can get on a pathway to get the kind of uh, support that they need because it's not always as straightforward as it is with a broken arm, right? You, you know, you, get, you have a broken arm, you go to the ER, they, they do an x-ray and get you cast, you know, cast you up so that you're, and then maybe you'll go do some rehab. But it's much more uh, it can be much more complex with uh, with mental health and substance use issues. And it's really interesting hearing you talk a little bit about the insight into how ministries work together. Um, in particular, I was picking up on the the funding um, allocation and how the funding is is allocated. And on some of the conversations we've had previously on this show, we've heard you know how come we just don't have more supports when it comes to um, you know grieving a loss of having wor had worked with a patient for so long, and then, you know, you're expected to kind of just put it behind you and move on to the next patient. Um, I know that there are some supports in place, um, and we can touch on those in a, in a minute, but I'm curious to take a step back from um, the actual specifics and learn and understand a bit more how your ministry has allocated funds. Is, is there a process in which your ministry needs to advocate um, for more funds, or how does the funding work? Um, when it comes to your ministry and getting the resources that you need to deploy the resources that you're hoping to deploy, yeah, well, you know, part of it. Uh, these are sort of some of the uh, the, the the more uh, the alchemy of uh, how how government works, um, sort of behind the scenes. I mean, part of it though is that we have. I mean, of course, we have you know health authorities uh, providing and, and and delivering mental health and substance use services as part of their sort of their core mandate, and um, that. Uh, those additional resources that we've secured for particular programs when we know, for example, in 2021, we made a very significant um, in investment specifically for mental health and, and substance use services. And we've seen the different ways in which health authorities have um, have scaled up those services. And in fact, just recently, I just last week, I announced um, some uh, treatment beds that the Vancouver Island Health Authority mm -hmm. is fu is funding. And that is a direct result of investments that we've made. And what's important about the way that that program is going to work is that it is completely connected with Island Health. So the, the referral um, for uh, an individual who needs treatment will come through Island Health. It will come through the team of, um, of, of, uh, of, uh, of doctors who are working with um, our, our community partners who have the, the beds in the, in, the, in, the, in the communities. And they'll be making a decision about who gets matched to, to which bed. Island Health will be monitoring um, the delivery of those of, of, of that care. They'll be evaluating it, monitoring it. So we'll have a much more sort of seamless uh, and much more eyes-on um, uh, approach to uh, the uh, to those to those particular treatment beds. And that's really what we're trying to scale up across the whole province with health authorities is having again those those services really integrated to the work that that health authorities are doing. But another really important area that we're working on is um, child and youth mental health, mm -hmm. which is terrifically important because we know how critical it is to be able to intervene upstream um, with, uh, with, with youth. And so this is where our work with uh, at the Education and Child Care uh, Ministry, my, my, my colleagues, uh, uh, Minister Singh and Minister Lohr and Minister Dean and uh, in Minister of Ch Children and Family Development is really important. 
for example, uh, in, in regard to the impact of the toxic drug crisis on youth, while we know that, uh, uh, that there is, um, we haven't seen increases in um, substance use disorder um, uh, when it comes to, to, to youth, we have certainly seen uh, more, much more tragic and, uh, mm -hmm. and dramatic impacts as a result of the toxic drug crisis on youth, such that now um, uh, toxic drug poisoning is the number one cause of death. Um, for for youth, and that is a, is a change that has evolved because of the, um, the the poisoning of the of the illicit drug supply, and so that really compels that we work um, collaboratively with uh, with education in terms of figuring out how, how do we talk to youth about drugs for uh, and about the risks of um, of substance use in the context of uh, uh, you know of, of uh, the the really um, you know ter terrible and and volatile toxic. Drugs, drug poisoning um, crisis that, that we're in right now. How do we work with um, MCFD when we know that 75% of the youth, uh, youth who, who die from toxic drug poisoning are involved with MCFD? So those are ways in which our, we're all working together to, um, to find answers, to, to, find, to find some solutions to, those, to, to, to that, that part of the crisis. And no doubt um, an extremely difficult and complex um, situation, problem, uh, crisis, and you know, unfortunately, we just surpassed um, thirteen thousand deaths since this um, has been declared a public health emergency. So, from your perspective, um, when it comes to that work, that collaboration that's really being done, is there a specific, um, not solution per se, but strategy that's really being focused on when it comes to um, addressing some of the? Uh, challenges that we're seeing and the rate of the increase of, of deaths that we're seeing? Yeah, well, you know, I, I would say that first and foremost, it is, um, it's important to understand the nature of the emergency that, that we're in. It's not a public health emergency in the same way that we had sort of the COVID-19 public health emergency where it was a virus. We knew that we would find a vaccine um, for it. And, the, and we had to implement very dramatic public health measures to keep people safe until we could until we got the protection of, of, of vaccines. And you could really see a, sort of a beginning and a middle and a, and a, 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 tra a transformation <laughs> at the, in, into, into, into something something different for that, um, for, for that particular um, uh, health emergency. The toxic drug um, emergency is, is just a terrifically wicked problem because in part, uh, it, you know, it's driven by um, a toxic drug supply, which was made uh, so much worse by our experience through COVID. Um, it is uh, a challenge in terms of all of the pillars that we bring to bear on, on this problem and have historically from, you know, enforcement to prevention um, to treatment and to, and, and to recovery. All of those, you know, uh, all of those, those pillars are really critically important, but really challenging for, um, for, you know, law enforcement, you know, we're doing everything we can to separate, try to separate people from the toxic drug supply, uh, trying to look at the upstream, uh, you know, issues uh, and, 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 and prevention, particularly around, around children and youth. But, you know, that it has, um, you know, this crisis has so many different antecedents, right? I mean, as many people who experienced addiction, like there, there are, so many pathways into that, in, into addiction, and there have to be, you know, all of as many pathways um, out of it. And so, building a system of care for people that is that provides them with the the right support, the right care at the right time, sort of when they need it, 
um, for a disease that is a chronic and relapsing disease is um, uh, is, is is really complex. You know, we um, you know we 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 had a we had a sort of a, a landscape in uh, this part of our healthcare system that was really underfunded, deregulated, and privatized. Um, for much of the, the, the 2000s up until we up until we formed government and so we are trying to knit together all of those threads to form a real a real net for people and this is what I keep in mind this is what I think about every day is that we really have to have a net for people um, and we have to try to make their uh, ensure that they that, that the way in which they can access care is as seamless as possible um, and so that's what that's really what we're working on um, is, is trying to ensure that people get access to the care that they need in, 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 a, in a seamless way as, as, as possible. It sounds very much like uh, meeting people where they're at. And, you know, it can be really difficult yeah. because people are at all different stages. Absolutely. Um, and in particular in the recovery, like you said, the, you know, sometimes there's steps forwards and then, you know, someone might relapse or, you know, go through some of the challenges and they know the impact not only um, stays with the individual who's experiencing those challenges, but also to to their wider supports. Um, so, I, I'm curious as we sort of uh, jump back into you know what the ministry and what the government of BC has done when it comes to stop overdose BC. Um, there's a lot of work that's being done in the province, and in particular, I'm thinking about the recent steps that were taken on January 31st, 2023, where BC decriminalized the use of uh, certain drugs. Um, and I'm curious from your perspective, uh, what sort of impact or what sort of changes have you seen um, by, by taking those steps and those actions? Well, it's still, I, I, I'd say, pretty early days, even though we're almost t- 10 to 9 months into it now. But I, I think we, you know, we anticipated that it would, be a, it would be a slow process of having that change um, work, through, work its way through the system. And the, you know, the primary ob- uh, objective of decriminalization, which really had been called for by law enforcement, um, it had been called for by public health, by frontline uh, physicians and, you know, nurses who to take care of people, who provide care for people who are struggling with, uh, with addictions. Um, we had a wide range of partners uh, really calling for changing up that, that um, relationship between what happens when people who are carrying small amounts of, uh, of illicit drugs for personal use and it's really clear that it's it's personal use they're not they're not they're not trafficking changing that up so that we don't have police officers kind of engaging in a kind of criminal through a criminal justice lens with those individuals we we use any interaction that's going to happen between um, law enforcement and those individuals as an opportunity to again connect them to care and through that process work to to again, you know, push on um, uh, taking taking away some of the stigma and fear that's associated with drug use because we don't we don't want people to be using alone because it is so risky these days. It is so risky given the toxicity of the drug supply for mm-hmm. people to be using alone. We want people to feel like they can reach out. And I just you know I will never forget um, talking with Catherine um, Botchford, whose husband was a journalist and and who died of a uh, of a of an overdose in their basement. And she didn't know, she didn't know that he was using drugs, mm-hmm. you know, didn't know whether he used them, you know, a handful of times or frequently. Um, and the, you know, the dramatic impact of that on, on her, I mean, life changing for her and, and, and her family. Um, 
and the questions around, you know, if you've got a loved one who has um, died from uh, toxic drug poisoning, you're always going to be wondering, is there something I could have been done different? Could I have reached out in a different way? Should I have done, should I have done something different? And we don't want any family to feel that. Uh, any family to be to be in that position. So, working to you know remove the fear and, and stigma associated with it, so people feel like they can reach out. Because again, you know what to do if you've got a broken arm. You don't necessarily know what to do if you um, if you're uh, if if you if you have an addiction issue, but you might not even really know that you have an addiction issue. You just may be aware that you have a problem. You might be concerned about some of your substance use. People need to be able to need to be able to reach out. And so back to that healthcare worker who's, you know, feeling overwhelmed or maybe, you know, challenged with some of the unique pressures that they might be facing, if they are using substances to cope with some of those challenges or issues, what would you say to them? Well, you know, for, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, I mean, healthcare workers have um, uh, gone so above and beyond mm-hmm. and done such incredibly just extraordinary work always, but particularly uh, throughout the pandemic. I mean, we would not have survived um, in the way that we did as a society if we didn't have um, people showing up every day in hospitals and long-term care facilities, in you know, social service agencies, in taking care of other people and making sure that all of the rest of us had access um, to the kind of care and support that we need. And, you know, we, we can never for, forget the incredible um, contribution that health care workers made to getting us all through um, an unimaginable time for yeah. us. I mean, really, a kind of a collective existential crisis, something we have not experienced any of us in our lifetimes. And that was, uh, you know, for, for, for my, for, for my, you know, my mother who was, who, who died last year, but was in her early 90s uh, and in long-term care and got, got COVID and got, got, through mm-hmm. through COVID, um, you know, I mean, she she remembered, uh, although she didn't live through it, she remembered, you know, the Spanish flu in you know after after the First World War. But, you know, that something this was not something that any of us had lived through. And um, what what healthcare workers did was was remarkable. And I understand that the pressures on healthcare workers today are um, are, are are extraordinary. I mean, we are we talk about being sort of, you know, out of the pandemic. I mean, we're certainly out of the acute phase of the pandemic, but we know that COVID continues to have, um, you know, a significant impact on our healthcare system. You know, we're, we're in a world now where, where we want people to stay home when they're sick because we don't want to risk um, transmission of um, uh, COVID-19 and other respiratory illnesses, but COVID-19 can still be very, you know, serious for, mm-hmm. for vulnerable populations. So we're in kind of a different, uh, a different, a different world now. And, um, it, uh, you know, that compounded with the, you know, an interesting fact that we don't necessarily think of in connection with this, but, you know, over 200,000 people moved to British Columbia in the last two years. We've seen rates of immigration to British Columbia that we have not seen in decades, maybe ever. And that um, means that all those folks need access to healthcare, to doctors, to, uh, you know, education, to all of our, you know, all of our, our services. And, um, are, we're working hard to try to catch up our, our health human resources with that with that picture, but it's hard these days um, in, in in healthcare. So I understand that healthcare workers are going through a lot, um, and I uh, just would would strongly encourage healthcare workers to, um, you know, if they if there's somebody that they can reach out to talk to in their family, you know, in their workplace, in their union, 
um, to, to, to do that. Jumping into a little bit more of, uh, you know, the, the ministry's Pathway to Hope uh, report or the update that was recently provided, um, I'm also going to bring in the In Plain Sight report um, that was also performed. I'm curious to hear, you know, in that Pathway to Hope report, one of those key pillars uh, for the ministry's strategy um, was to to really have strong Indigenous-led solutions. And so I'm curious if you could touch on what your ministry is doing when it comes to supporting uh, more specific Indigenous-led solutions. Yeah, thanks. That's a, that's a really important question. We know that um, uh, First Nations and Indigenous people are disproportionately impacted by um, mental health issues and by the toxic drug crisis as well. Um, Indigenous people are four times more likely to die from toxic drug poisoning. Indigenous women, 11 times more mm-hmm. likely to die from toxic drug poisoning. So, you know, there are many, uh, many reasons for that having to do with, uh, with colonialism, racism, you know, intergenerational trauma, many things that, again, are, are specific, you know, particular um, uh, I- issues for, for, for that, uh, for those populations. Um, and, and so we, we understand that it is uh, critically important for Indigenous people to lead um, their, own, their own solutions and for us to support that. And, you know, if there's anything that I really learned on the, in the first, uh, the first couple of months on this, uh, on the job in this file, is that um, community really saves lives, but culture really saves lives. Culture really saves lives. And so ensuring that we have culturally, uh, you know, appropriate, um, culturally led uh, services in place is, is really key. Um, and, and so we've been working with, uh, we work directly with nations, we work through the First Nations Health Authority, um, and we have some, some programs that are, uh, that are funded and developed, developed uh, in conjunction with the federal government um, to provide uh, treatment services for, uh, for Indigenous people, for First Nations. And in this um, past budget, uh, we allocated $171 million for Indigenous-led treatment and recovery programs that will, you know, will, will look differently across the province, but uh, working really closely with uh, with nations on, um, what, like where that where, where where that goes and how what kinds of services get scaled up with that. And really, what I loved hearing about that that response too is that it's a it's not a one size fits all, and it's a one size fits one nation approach and being able to have that self-determination and those communities lead um, and bring forward some of their own solutions um, is such a really strong uh, way for communities to to lift up and support their community members. So definitely applaud your ministry in, in that regards. Uh, when it comes to a little bit more of a long-term vision, and I think sometimes this might be a little bit of criticism that uh, different governments get from time to time is it's a little bit more short-sighted, what is your ministry doing from a long-term vision perspective? Um, yes, there's the importance of you know dealing right now with the crisis that we're seeing, but what about that long-term solution? Right, this isn't going to be a, a problem that's fixed overnight. I'm curious what what your sort of forward-thinking plan is mm-hmm. with your team. Yeah, I mean, and and it is uh, again, again for me, it really gets back to um, how we transform our healthcare system. To also be always um, thinking of health and uh, mental health and, and substance use as part of part of part of health as as well, 
Um, and so we sort of we laid out our vision in Pathway to Hope, our 10-year strategy on, on mental health and substance use care. And we're sort of, you know, working through, you know, I've made lots of progress on particularly the, the preventative side and the upstream services um, in, in regard to children and youth and clearly more work to do there. You know, we've done things like um, ensure that we have uh, community, low barrier community um, counselling uh, resources available for people, again, as a sort of an upstream um, preventative uh, kind of uh, access to lower barrier um, services. And then, again, it's working with health authorities to really uh, integrate um, uh, the care and treatment. So, for example, St. Paul's right now is working on a, um, a, a sort of a seamless model where an individual would come into their come into the hospital through through ER through through their rapid access addiction clinic maybe, and they would get referred to a stabilization a detox and stabilization bed. They'd be they'd be cared for while they're in withdrawal management, and then they transition right into treatment, and then from treatment they transition to an aftercare program, and it would be sort of seamless. And um, sort of ma all, all, all under the auspices of, um, of of the health authority, and I think it's uh, you know we are always going to work with community partners. We have very many excellent uh, community partners who deliver services um, in in this space, and you know making sure that we are that we have the right um, the right sort of approach to when uh, when the health authority is delivering services, when they're working with community partners to deliver services. That is um, that. That's also a big part of what we're doing right now because we really have to look at the. We really have to be building up the evidence. We have to understand what kind of approach to treatment works in certain situations. Um, we uh, we know that bed-based treatment works for some people in some circumstances. We also know that outpatient um, treatment can work. People can be some people can be supported to detox, for example, successfully at home. They can be they can be in a treatment program. Um, but but be but be supported to do that from home. So, you know, again, kind of meeting people where they're at and having the right kind of service for for what they need. That that is uh, that that is work that we're that that we're that we're engaged in, and really having um, things like uh, like our early um, psychosis intervention program, which is um, which we invested over fifty eight million dollars um, a couple of years ago in scaling up and. Investing in the, the 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 healthcare providers that we need in order to make sure that um, that that youth, when they are interacting with the healthcare system, um, if they need um, uh, support for uh, for mental health issues, that they have access to that to that dedicated program. So there again is uh, you know it is uh, it, it is about um, it is about working with health authorities and working sort of across the sort of provincial services and regional services, um, so that. Just as just as if you know, if you've got a broken arm, and you know you can get care at the hospital, you know if you're having a um, a mental health issue, you know that you can that it, that you can go and get get the help you need at the hospital. And you may not need hospital-based help. You be, you might need some other kind of help, but we're going to help you figure out what's going on and then trans get you transitioned to the to the care that's right for the particular care care that you need. Absolutely. Well, we have certainly covered a lot today, and I know there's tons more questions um, that I'd love to get to, but I really feel like today we've been able to capture um, a wide range of topics um, and to also just re-emphasize that um, if you are a healthcare professional and you are struggling or you do need supports, um, there are platforms, there are services that are available for you. Uh, and again, we'll make sure that those are available in the show notes. Um, very briefly, as we sign off here, I'm curious if there's anything we haven't covered today 
um, you know, or any messages that you'd like to offer to those healthcare practitioners listening today? Well, you know, again, I just I want to come back to the extraordinary work that um, that folks are doing on the front lines. You know, I've had a chance to tour the province um, over the last few months, and I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen peer outreach workers do incredible, incredible work. Uh, people who were homeless um, and lived on the street for a long time, who found their path, um, found found a wellness journey that worked for them. And are now employed um, in the, in the by the Interior Health Authority, doing outreach, supporting people who are kind of where they were 20 years ago, and it is incredibly moving to see the the commitment and the dedication that they bring to that kind of work. I know there are so many workers across our supportive housing sector, for example, who are working with people who have mental health and substance use issues, um, doing incredible uh, incredible work supporting them. And I, I think a lot about the, uh, the, the street out, outreach workers who, you know, load up backpacks and uh, with, you know, wound care supplies and food and granola bars and Ensure and, uh, and, and, and go out and meet people where they're at and provide care for them. And I, um, I have been so uh, moved um, by the incredible uh, compassion of really, again, meeting people where they're at and treating people with such like with the utmost of dignity, um, when they're sometimes at their worst, sometimes having their worst moment, um, but always being able to find the human value and the dignity in, in everyone. And I think about that every day. I've had you know particular experiences that have been part of where I um, have been really, really impacted by uh, just the incredible uh, dignity and sensitivity and compassion that healthcare workers are bringing to their work. But I also know that it takes a toll. You, you don't do that work without, without it taking a toll on, 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 on you. And I really, um, I really want healthcare workers to know that we've got their back. You know, we brought in um, a presumption, presumptive coverage for, uh, for, uh, for certain occupations in, in, in British Columbia to recognize that there are some jobs that just come with a higher rate of mental health distress than, than others and that we need to make sure that the pathway for, you know, through WorkSafe is, is easier for, for, for people. So, you know, we have, we have, um, we have the, the resources that we, that we do, uh, that, that we provide in conjunction with the Canadian Mental Health Association of BC, which I, as a partnership I'm very, I'm always deep, deeply grateful for. So there are resources, uh, there are resources out there and I really, 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 um, I just want people to take care of themselves because I know it's tough out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for taking the time today, Minister Whiteside. Uh, we really deeply value your insight, your time, uh, your ministries, all the hard work that, that is going into you know, trying to make BC um, a great place to live. Um, and when people are struggling to recognize that, you know, that that happens and, you know, it's OK to put your hand up and to to get that support, get that help that you need, um, because it impacts us all. Uh, whether you're the person struggling with mental illness or you're the person that's supporting. Um, so we yeah, really deeply value your time, your insight, um, and all the hard work that your ministry is doing. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for the converse- conversation, Sean, and shout out to all the healthcare workers out there. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit the links in the show notes for resources and supports from the Care for Caregivers program. If you're interested in sharing your story on the Care to Listen podcast, please reach out to us at careforcaregivers.ca forward slash podcasts. 
And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform to be notified when new episodes are released. Thanks again for joining us and see you next month.